Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're tackling a story that is one that comes very close to the heart of Native Americans. It is a story of adversity, a story of challenge, a story of um, dealing with oppression, but it's from a very different perspective than we usually hear it. We have a very interesting guest. Some of you might say, well, what would someone who's uh, not even had a 20th birthday know about adversity? Ella, it is great to have you with us on our show today. Thank you so much for having me here and for giving me this opportunity to talk about my projects. So Ella Cholich, you are known by many today as an author. Uh, your friends know you as a pre-med student. Tell us a little bit about your uh, life and where you're at right now. Yeah, so currently I'm studying pre-medicine at Occidental College in Los Angeles, and I am an undergraduate student. But in my free time, I do enjoy writing, especially as you know. Um, <laughs> and I write any types of mediums from books to poems on my free time to even short stories. Now, the amazing thing is, even before you started your pre-medical studies, you were the author of a book that's been generating a lot of interest. And I know that because it came across my desk. We had never met. But I heard about your book, Trees Without Roots. Tell us a little bit about that book and the project that's grown out of it. I first started writing that book when I was 16 years old. Well, technically 15 and a half. And it started on Thanksgiving Day back in 2018, when my aunt handed me a pink envelope full of war letters. And I was initially confused because I had no idea what was in that envelope. And no one really said anything to me when they handed it. They all kind of seemed very somber and kept to themselves. And they were just watching my reaction and seeing how I would, if I would figure out the story behind the envelope. So I opened it and I read a couple of letters and I figured it would make a really interesting piece to write about. So I started writing at 15 and a half. I got it officially published at 18 years old. And I also came out with a Bosnian translation of it when I turned 19 years old. So you have family roots in Bosnia and a lot of people when they hear Bosnia, if they know geography and history, they're thinking Yugoslavia, they're thinking uh, civil War. Give us a little bit of the, the background of your family and the history of uh, really your country of origin. So it is initially known as former Yugoslavia, but now it is divided into six countries. And the three big ones that most people know that derive from former Yugoslavia are Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia. Both of my parents come from Bosnia. My dad is from Teslic and my mom is from Banja Luka. And they came here to the United States, and I am born here in Mountain View in California. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I have some uh, connections in California as well. Many of the listeners know I did my medical training at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And Mountain View, of course, up uh, in the Bay Area, had opportunities to uh, spend a fair amount of time in Northern California. So I've actually worked with a number of tribes 
up there in Northern California. So uh, a lot of our native listeners, they have roots in California. So you're talking with an audience that may be relating to you geographically where you grew up, but when you start talking Bosnia, Serbia, places like that, the former Yugoslavia, many of my listeners are saying, wow, what, what was that like? Now, you didn't live through that conflict there, but you began to live through it as a 15-year-old when you're reading these letters. And tell us a little bit about who the author of the letters were. What were they writing about? Letters were written by my father and my aunt. My aunt was 11 years old when the war started, and my dad was coincidentally 15 and a half, almost 16 when the war began. And so they wrote these letters to their family members. Most of them were addressed to their grandparents, and there were a few that went to their parents, although a lot of the letters got lost in the war. So these were the ones that were salvaged or kept with them. And the one thing to know when you're looking at these letters, there was a lot of time span in between. So even though there may be 20 letters in my book, they were all written maybe three to six months apart. So you, it's hard to imagine going three months without even hearing back from your family. You don't even know if they're dead or alive. And witnessing that at a, or experiencing that at a young age, it's definitely a devastating effect. So they're writing these letters. It's your dad before he's married to your mother. Mm -hmm. He's going through the conflict in what was then Yugoslavia. Who is he writing the letters to? He would write them to different family members because he would often be split from his parents. He would stay with my aunt. So they would address it either to their mother or father or to their grandparents. So let me see if I'm getting the narrative straight. Your aunt and your father, brother and sister, is that right? They're the ones writing the letters? Yes. And they're often together, presumably, but they're sometimes with different family members. But during this whole time, they're in uh, this war-torn part of the world. Is that correct? Correct. And they're writing to other people who have been able to get out of that area or people that are still somewhere else in what was then the country of Yugoslavia? They would still be within the country because my grandma, when the war first happened, she was a triage nurse on the front lines. And my grandpa was a general for their brigade in Teslich. So they would often be on the front lines. And at one point, my father, too, was on the front lines with their parents, so my grandparents. And then they realized that it was getting too unsafe. So they first sent them to Jiria, Croatia. It's an island off of Croatia, and it's the farthest island out there. And they stayed there with some family members, so they would write letters to their grandparents and to their parents who stayed in Bosnia. And then after that, they would go back and forth between Croatia and Bosnia quite frequently before they went to Germany. And so there was that big split between the family at that point. Okay. So I think one of the things, you know, as I speak uh, to people throughout Indian country, you know, one of the things that's very present in the minds of Native Americans is the whole topic of historical trauma. And a person may not have lived through uh, genocide, and I know that's one of the elements that entered into the Yugoslavian whole history, that whole story there. They may not have lived through the conflict themselves, but because their parents or grandparents or elders went through this experience, there are these lasting effects on those who were 
victims of these atrocities, of these uh, war-torn times. Tell us, as someone who didn't physically experience the trauma, but you're reliving it as uh, four years ago, whatever, when you first opened these letters up and start reading through them. How did that affect you as you're reading the letters? Well, when I first started reading the letters, I didn't really have an idea of what was going on, especially because before that, the only idea I had of my family history was that, oh, they're from Bosnia. They came here to the United States because of the war. And I knew that I lived in a mixed religious family, and that was that. But then after reading the letters, I had a deeper understanding as to how my parents got here and more about the identity and the way of being dual religious, because I am both Muslim and Orthodox. And a lot of people, when they look at me, they think, you know, how can you be both? You can only choose one. But in reality, that was a very common practice in former Yugoslavia. So when I would read it, of course, it would be very emotional, especially because I did not only read the letters, I held one-on-one interviews with my father and aunt. And they haven't spoken about their story in over 20 years. They kept it to themselves until I had this project. So they were not only reliving the trauma, but they're trying to cope with it in a way and come to terms with it in order to find their own closure and peace. So I'm witnessing this happening. And so you can imagine a lot of tears. (laughs) Well, now help us too, because you mentioned something very interesting. And I don't know a lot about the history of Yugoslavia. I have had friends uh, like you, Ella, who have roots in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some of the larger divisions of Yugoslavia. You mentioned Serbia and Croatia, Bosnia. Mm -hmm. My understanding is those divisions took place largely along kind of religious lines. I mean, that's the way I've heard it described before. Is that your understanding as well? Uh, Yes, that is also my understanding. It's a little bit um, complicated in this division because you do have, it's categorized as Bosnian Muslims. Serbian Orthodox and Catholic Croatians. But in reality, you can have a Bosnian who considers themselves as Catholics, even though they may not. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of categories <laughs> to it. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like you mentioned, so the, the Catholics primarily ended up in Croatia. Is that correct? Yes. And then in Serbia, you had mainly the, the Orthodox. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then in in Bosnia, it was mainly Muslim. And it still is, I mean, to this day. So we do want to explore some more of those spiritual dynamics because your parents actually came, is it fair to say your parents kind of came from different backgrounds spiritually? Yes. So my father, he is Muslim, even though his, his parents also come from a mixed religious background where my grandma is Serbian Orthodox and my grandpa is Muslim but my father is Muslim, and then my mother, also Orthodox, but I like to consider myself as both in respect to both religions that my parents come from. Okay. And of course, this is one of the things that always generates a lot of dialogue, too, and especially, you know, in Indian country where a lot of our listeners, for example, on this broadcast come from a a Christian background, and some of my Native American listeners, I mean, they, they immediately resonate with that, and others... Uh, that's the furthest thing from their cultural identity. They feel that was, you know, something imposed on them, 
Others feel, no, we had traditional beliefs that reconcile nicely with, with true, you know, Christianity. And, you know, we could, we have some very interesting dialogues when I sit with my Native American friends and we talk about spiritual things. So we've got all of these different layers. We've got war, we've got young people involved, we've got people basically running for their lives. And I think so many people, as they hear your story today, Ella, they think of other conflict going on in Eastern Europe right now. Just tell us a little bit from your perspective, as you've been hearing about things happening in Russia and the Ukraine, did that give you kind of a sense of deja vu? You know, here we are all over again. Yeah, interestingly enough, when I went back to Europe for my spring break for work, um, I would talk to a lot of locals and family members there, and they would say that they're reliving their own PTSD because a lot of the the situation is very parallel to what has happened in former Yugoslavia, the biggest being the humanitarian crisis that is occurring and the refugee crisis that is also happening. So I would say that it does seem like that there is another humanitarian failure occurring in the heart of Europe. Wow. And this story, of course, is a story that's not confined to Europe. I know my Native listeners, as they're tuning in, I mean, they're thinking, well, hey, maybe I'm Cherokee. I've got family in in North Carolina. We were forcibly relocated to Oklahoma, for example. And so this whole thing of, of mass migration of people, whether we're talking a trail of cheers, whether we're talking people that are running for their lives uh, to wherever they can go, this is something that's part of your heritage. And yet your parents uh, shielded you from that for some 15 years. I mean, is that a fair way to describe it? I would say it's a fair way of describing it. I mean, of course, it's like you want to protect your child because that is a heavy topic to be disclosing to them. But at the same time, you do want them to understand their identity and family history. And this is why your story is so fascinating and I think resonates with so many people, whether they're thinking of their background somewhere overseas, whether it's right here on this continent in North America. Ella Cholich. Ella, before we step away, give us uh, one more time the title of your book and how someone might be able to pick up a copy of it. My book is called Trees Without Roots, and you can find all the links for Amazon, Goodreads, etc. on my website, treeswithoutroots.com. Okay, treeswithoutroots.com, Ella Cholich. She's going to be back with more fascinating topics that make a difference for you and those you love. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. 
furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA service center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose with Ella Cholich. She is an author. She is also a college student, actually a pre-med student, She's been telling us about an amazing background to her life story. It all goes back to the former Yugoslavia, and it's something that if you're just tuning in, I think you'll be able to relate to because all of us deal with adversity, some much more severe than others, and this whole dimension of historical trauma, how is it when our parents, when our elders have uh, suffered all kinds of things? How does that impact us as individuals Ella, as we're exploring that, you're the author of a, a book, Trees Without Roots. Tell us a little bit about the, the title of that, because, you know, when someone's trying to imagine a tree without roots, uh, it's an uncomfortable visual image. So, so help us understand that one. I called my book Trees Without Roots because uh, there were some Americans who would reference Bosnian refugees who came from a mixed religious background as quote-unquote trees without roots because they saw the war as, oh, you can't pick a side because both sides of your identity, I put I say sides as in quote-unquote, both sides of your identity are fighting against each other and therefore you don't have any heritage or identity as a result. So that's why I decided to call the book Trees Without Roots. Okay, I love the picture. So what I'm hearing you say, Ella, is like we mentioned in the earlier segment, if you're Bosnian, you're kind of supposed to be Muslim, right? I mean, isn't that the stereotype? Yeah, because that was the uh, majority of, or the big religion that was in the country. So the leaders in Bosnia typically are Muslim at this point. Is that a, a fair characterization? Um, <laughs> again, like I said, it's a very complicated subject, but the way that it ended up happening after President Tito 
three leaders came to power, each to represent the three main republics, eventually split into six. And then you had, I'm trying to figure out a way to simplify the history without, but also making it kind of coherent. But if you do look at Bosnia, majority of the population would be Muslim, but there are different religions within the population. <laughs> right. And, and the reason I'm taking some, some pains with this is because it's something that's always a little bit confusing to me because I'm not deeply steeped in that part of the world. And I'm always thinking, okay, so, you know, Croatians, and you know, I think most people can get the Croatians and Catholic together because they both start with C. I mean, that at least works for my brain. Yeah. But Bosnians, you know, with the Muslim roots especially, and then the Serbians more with the Orthodox roots, which a lot of people today, if they're not familiar with Orthodox traditions, probably similar to what a lot of people would think in North America of Catholicism would look similar to that if they walked into a service, at least to my understanding. Is that fair from what you've seen? You know, if someone's trying to understand, if you're trying to explain, well, what does an Orthodox church service look like? I mean, the easiest way to think about it is when you look at the location of former Yugoslavia, it was centered to a lot of empires that came through, as in the Ottoman Empire, Austrian-Hungarian Empire. So that's where the richness in our heritage and religion come from. And it just so happened that as the war occurred um, in former Yugoslavia, that would be where that's where the majority of the religion would be. And then it ended up splitting that way after the war. And I like to think of when I look at Orthodox, the cross, it has a club on the edges of the cross, hmm. while for a regular Catholic cross, you just know it as a standard. But ultimately, because I come from a very rich background of religions, I do have family members who are also Catholic, and these religions all ultimately preach the same thing of loving one another and finding the good in each other and trying to help out our community. And I appreciate your focus so much because I think a lot of times people focus on the things that divide them mm -hmm. rather than the things that unite them. And I really see your life basically speaking to that. You're saying, you know, I'm from, you know, a mixed religious background. Yeah. I've come out of this trauma and I'm here in the United States. And, and it seems like your perspective, Ella, I mean, just honestly, is something that's really needed today on a number of levels because we made this comparison to what's going on in, in the Ukraine right now. And a lot of the dialogue that I hear is someone saying, well, these people are ethnically Russian or they're ethnically this other background and we need to unite. And it often people are trying to define themselves by their religion or by their ethnicity instead of looking at common ground. Speak to us about that whole dynamic. It is a little bit complicated because on one hand, you do want these labels in order to figure out yourself and your own identity. But at the same time, the more you immerse yourself into these different religions or cultures, the more you start to see these similarities and thus the labels start getting a little bit blurred. That's slightly what happened with me. Yes, I do... Um, call myself Muslim and Orthodox. But as I start, as my family is celebrating all of these holidays, as you know, Ramadan is currently happening. We have two Christmases, two New Year's, two Easter's. So there's a whole lot of celebrations going, but 
you can just see the love and joy, no matter which religion we're celebrating at that instant, there's always some sort of love that the family members are showing to one another, or there's always happiness, excitement. So I always affiliate these holidays with really good memories. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I appreciate that spirit. And I know some people are saying, well, someone tuning in right now, and they're, they're from an Orthodox background, and they're saying, well, this young lady's not Orthodox at all. You can't be Muslim and Orthodox. And there's, I'm sure there's Muslims that are listening saying, well, you can't be Muslim and Orthodox both. Um, you've got to either be one or the other. You know, you've got to choose. And I think some people uh, think that I'm trying to undermine any religious tradition, you know, where they do believe that there are certain standards or certain values. But I think the other dialogue, apart from our individual spirituality, is how do we get along on planet Earth together? How do we respect people? And I think one of the, the beauties historically of America is that is what America championed, that we weren't going to have a state church. You know, it wasn't going to be, if you're in North America, you're this religion. But I know there's people who have suffered persecution of people who tried to make them feel inferior because they weren't of their religious background or their ethnic background. And I know this is something that's very close to the hearts of many people in Indian country. So as we kind of circle back around to your book and what you sometimes call your project, help us to understand there's a book, Trees Without Roots. You've told us a little bit about yourself, about the title of the book. And you often, when people speak with you, when you do lectures, when you go on uh, book tours and things, you're speaking about your project. Help us to understand how that differs from the book. As I mentioned before, I do have a Bosnian translation of my book called Drveće bez Koreana, where I worked with this young woman named Azra Pargan, who helped me translate the book into Bosnian. And I got it published through BMG Tuzla. And so what happened is that my publisher, um, who works at BMG Tuzla, he created this project called Moja Prva Kniga, which translates to my first book. And essentially, the proceeds of my my book go to help financially publish another young author's book. We had our first festival mm. in December 13th of last year, and I helped financially sponsor this book called Bosansko Diete, which is translated into Bosnian Child by Enes Hodžić. And... I'm going to go a little bit into his background. Enes Hodžić, he was a 13-year-old, very talented musician who lived during the war. And he got killed by a grenade. Sorry, this is a little bit emotional for me. Sorry. <laughs> he got killed by a grenade um, in front of his house when he was 13 years old. And um, his parents didn't know that he wrote poetry in his free time. But a lot of it reflected on... Um, like how children would feel during the war. And so my publisher thought it would be a good idea. My publisher chose this book out of the competition for it to be published because it falls very parallel to what I discuss in my book. Mm. And so, I'm sorry. It's just, you can, you can like sense the, when you read his work, you can sense the fear um, that the children go through because they don't know what's going on or they don't know the like, terminology behind politics but they can't sense how the adults are reacting and the fear um, that they are experiencing and that is kind of reflected through them so in a way children serve as mirrors into how 
they perceive the real world around them. And there's even a documentary that was premiered. So after this, we're gonna have another festival, hopefully this coming December, where we will publish more books, not only through the proceeds of his book, but whatever proceeds I've made throughout this year as well. Sorry for getting so emotional about that um, topic. No, Ella, it's a tremendous story, and I hear what you're doing, and it's something very close to the hearts of my listeners, whether they're in the heart of Indian country, whether they're native or not. A lot of people today are talking about, how do I give back? How do I show my appreciation for the gifts that I have? How do I help my community? And I know this is directly helping people in a part of the world that's experienced a lot of uh, trauma within the last uh, generation or two. We're so thankful for what you're doing. I know you have some powerful insights that will continue to minister to my listeners in this show. We're not going to step away. We've got a lot more coming up with uh, Ella, Ella Cholich. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I encourage you to stay by. We'll have more right after these important announcements. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me today is Ella Cholich. She, uh, one day, is hopefully going to be Dr. Ella Cholich, as she's a pre-medical uh, student right now in university, but she is also an author. She is bilingual. She's written a book that is in Bosnian as well as in English. It's called Trees Without Roots, and it speaks about her family's trauma, the historical trauma that has impacted her and her family. Ella, I think a lot of folks, if they've been with us from the top of the hour, they got a pretty clear idea of the background of your book. Your father and his sister went through war-torn Yugoslavia years ago. They wrote letters during that time. You ended up publishing those letters as well as interviewing your father and your aunt. But we don't have a real good idea of just what the letters talked about. Give us a little feel for the actual story that unfolds as someone would go through your book. The way I organize the contents of my book, I first begin by talking about their life before the war, and that I received the information through one-on-one interviews. And then once the letters start to be introduced in the book, it begins discussing how they had to flee their hometown, Teslic, and eventually how my father would be on the front lines with my, my grandfather. And then on one-on-one interviews, it would just be them reflecting on these letters, which like, why, why would my parents send me on the front lines? Which parent would do that to their child? And they're internalizing or they're being introspective and trying to figure out their internalized trauma and try to receive some answers and closures as to what has happened during the war. They would also discuss on how it was difficult transitioning between different life because ultimately every time they would be picked up and moved somewhere, they would have to readjust go to a different school, meet new people, maybe even sometimes learn the language. That's what happened when they went to Germany and then eventually the United States. So every time it would be them almost as if they were quote unquote restarting their lives. And the book closes in on their life in the United States and how they got through here today. And I guess you could say that they almost lived through the quote unquote American dream as well, because now my father, he owns his own company, and I'm fortunate enough to be attending a private college, like Occidental College, despite them coming to the United States with only $100 to their name. Wow, wow. So it, it is an amazing story. And Ella, I know one of the things that I think a lot of my listeners are zeroing in on is this whole dynamic. I mean, you're reading these letters at about the age of 16, and that's the same age if I'm understanding the story correctly, that your father found himself actually on the front lines in in war. Is that correct? That's correct. So what did that do for you as you're reading that and you're thinking, wow, I mean, here I am at home, nice house, whatever, going to school in the United States, not dealing with any major cataclysmic uh, uprising. I'm sure there's there's challenges everywhere, but it's you're not in a war-torn area. How did you process all that? You know, those were exactly my thoughts. I would I would sit and read a letter and it would be, for example, him <laughs> it would be him with his cousin trying to figure out 
what they're going to do for the night or they would hear mortars going off in the distance and I would think wow I'm out here freaking out about my future exam but they were out here worrying for their lives so there was a lot of it was interesting to compare how different our lives were at even though we were at the same point in our lives as this was occurring. Uh, one of the other questions that often comes up, and you know, we've alluded to it earlier in the show, is this whole concept of historical trauma. How does trauma that previous generations experienced, how does that impact people today? How does that impact a child today? And although your parents doesn't sound like they told you any of this story as you're growing up, did you have a sense that as you're reading these letters at 15 and 16, that here's this piece of the puzzle you kind of always knew was there. It was something below the surface. Tell us a little bit about how that dynamic played out. Like I said uh, before, I didn't really have a good understanding as to where my family came from. So (laughs) actually funny story. When I would talk to my friends about all the holidays I would celebrate, I would say, oh yeah, I had two Christmases. I, you know, got double the presents. They would be like, oh, why are you celebrating two Christmases? There's only one. And I didn't realize, okay, maybe there's something a little bit abnormal about having so many holidays in one year. And I would ask my parents from time to time. It's not as if I wasn't or I was being passive about it, but they would often dismiss it and be like, oh, you know, we're from Bosnia. There's there's not much to it. And I'll be like, oh, okay, like maybe they're just like taking time with it. Um And so when I got that envelope of war letters, that's when it first became clear to me about who I really am and how deep my roots actually go. A lot of these parallels can also be seen with um, the Ukrainian-Russian situation at the moment. I do have friends whose one parent would be, for instance, Ukrainian and the other Russian, and there's a lot of conflict of identity in their household. And I do understand what it's like... um, having or trying to figure out who are you really especially if you're witnessing you know quote-unquote sides of your family arguing against each other um and in a way it kind of undermines how rich the culture actually is because even though we're so fixated on looking at our differences there are so many similarities that unite us together and that was what the biggest thing was when I first published my book there I received some comments that were like How could you be both Muslim and Orthodox? That's impossible. You're either one or the other. Mm -hmm. And they would they would undermine my identity like that. But in reality, that's who I am. And that's just where I come from. I didn't I mean, you can choose to be which religion you want to be. But in this case, out of respect for my family, I didn't choose that my mom is Orthodox or that my father is Muslim. And so by saying that I'm both, it's to respect all of the heritage that they come with it and in a way I'm also honoring not I don't like to say burden I like to say the history of what being mixed religious from the Balkans carries because yes I do for people who may not know what happened in former Yugoslavia and they hear that I am mixed religious they're like okay that's a little bit peculiar never heard that before that someone is two religions but you know you do what you like because that is your life but I like to say that because it carries the history and the struggles that my family went through. So you mentioned that we're recording this show right now in 2022 when we're recording. This is actually during the time of Ramadan. Most (laughs) uh, people, whether they're Muslim or not, I think if they have even some marginal 
cultural literacy about Islam. They've heard of Ramadan, but help us understand what Ramadan is, what it looks like then in your home. You know, it's kind of two separate questions. What is Ramadan? And then how do you see it playing out in your home? <laughs> um, it just depends. I mean, we're not very, my family is not very hyper fixated on religion. We do like to extract the core values from it and apply it to our lives. Um, I did attend a Catholic high school while growing up, despite not being Catholic. So my parents didn't want us to be exposed to many different religions and whatnot. And so we will respect the holidays, but I personally don't fast (laughs) during Ramadan, but I will support any family member who does do that. Now, did I understand from our off-air discussion, Ella, that your dad does fast during Ramadan? Is that correct? It also just depends on how he's feeling, too, to be honest. There's no consistency with it. But, you know, I'm not sure right now, actually. I did. I should probably ask him if he's fasting or not. But, yeah. And, and traditionally, do I understand it correctly? It's from, from sunrise to sunset, no eating or drinking? Is that the orthodox, if you want to use that term for, for Muslim, but the kind of uh, uh, yeah, formal very, Muslim practice? Yeah, that's the very standard of fasting you would eat before sunrise and then eat after sunset and so as you were growing up your dad would would actually do that do you, you have recollections growing up that he would do that yeah and the another recollection i have is a little bit different or i don't know i, I get a little bit confused from time to time just because we have so many religions going on <laughs> but there we would also when it would be bite on um i believe that's Eid. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure about the translation. I'll double check and verify with you if you would like to later on clarify during your break or something. But we would wish them a happy Bayram. And in return, children would get money or candy from whoever is celebrating. So that was another um, traditional aspect that I remember from my childhood that we would often do. <laughs> okay, okay. So one of the, and again, I appreciate the discussion because what I hear us saying. And, and what I hear us uh, talking about, Ella, is something that is definitely applicable, whether we're in the heart of Indian country, whether we're you know, on a reservation, whether we're in an urban area, whether we're anywhere in the world, whether we're in a place that has a lot of history of conflict or a place that seems to have a long history of peaceful coexistence. This whole idea of, yes, every individual wants to be true to their own spiritual bearings. I don't hear anything you're saying. You're not depreciating anyone of any religious background. But at the same time, you're saying in a family, uh, in a household, in a community, I hear you making a plea of saying, can we look at our differences as opportunities to appreciate, I like the term you use, you know, richness, a cultural richness, rather than saying this sets us up for conflict. And so kind of bringing it back to where we're at as a world, maybe even as we're as a nation. A lot of things are dividing people throughout the United States. Do you see some messaging today that doesn't just apply to folks in the Ukraine and Russia, but but right here in North America? The way I see it, religion has various levels of quote-unquote traditional, as I like to say. Um, There are many issues that I think we have to work on in North America in regards to our like yes we are very diverse as a country but oftentimes people while diversity may unite us people 
people oftentimes also take that diversity and try to use it against us. I think in regards to religion, uh, religion looks different for everyone. Like I said before, you know, even though my father is Muslim, he does not hold it to the T, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. He doesn't pray every day or five times a day, but he still, but that doesn't mean that he's not Muslim, if that makes sense. I would say in North America, I just think overall people need to understand or need to immerse themselves or even hold conversations with people from different backgrounds and different religious backgrounds and try to understand what core message they're practicing. Because a lot of times people just base it off of stereotypes. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm trying not to go too much into the political realm here because I just think at the end of the day, we all turn to religion to guide us morally into how we should be acting and the core message is always going to be love no matter which religious section you look at ella you're sharing a lot of things that grow out of an experience that's been informed by tragedy in your own family's history you're speaking to us many of us who can relate on a very intimate level because of things that we've gone through either individually or as a result of things that our parents suffered. We are going to come back with a final segment with Ella. She's going to be telling us a little bit more about her book, some other practical lessons that I think can make a real difference for you. I'm Dr. David DeRose, Ella Cholich. She'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. 
Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. For our final segment in today's broadcast, I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Ella Cholich, she's the author of the book, Trees Without Roots. She's been speaking about her family's experience in the former Yugoslavia. Ella, we have been on a journey trying to see through your eyes, trying to learn some lessons that have relevance to us today. And one of the things that uh, has been grabbing people's attention throughout the world is the conflict in the Ukraine, some of these... uh, tensions between Russians and Ukrainians, many of whom are brothers and sisters or cousins, similar situation that your family experienced in Yugoslavia. One of the interesting things we were talking about at the break was this whole concept of a a temporary protection status or TPS. Tell us a little bit about what that was, how it impacted your family, and why that's raising concerns today. I mentioned in my book that when my father and all went to Germany they were filed under a TPS status but in German there's two divisions you have a I think it's a I don't know how to pronounce it it's very tough it's like a doodling and then the other one is a very very long German word that I'm not even going to try to say but I have it written down in there if you are um, interested in reading more about it but ultimately for my father when it expired basically he would essentially just have to leave the country. He could no longer stay in there. Either he would be forcefully removed back to Bosnia or he would have to find another country to go to. And then the other country he ended up in was the United States. And so the reason why I'm concerned or why I see a lot of similarities between what happened in former Yugoslavia and what is currently happening with the Russian-Ukrainian situation is that America is now offering Ukrainian refugees a, a form of TPS. And my question is, what will happen after their TPS expires? Will they be given uh, visas or a chance to extend their stay there? Or will they also be forcibly moved back to Ukraine? And it's devastating because you have these people who are, they uprooted their lives and are moving here and coming with nothing. And now you're going to send them back to nothing. And what people fail to realize is, even though the United Nations is giving these statistics that, oh, This war has generated 1.1 million Ukrainian refugees, and we expect 5 million more refugees to be generated by the end of the month. A lot of these refugees, they don't end up coming back to their home country because it is war-torn, and they will not have the same opportunities that they have had before the war. So you're going to be displacing millions of people. And my question is, why will we let it get to this point in time that it will be so devastating and impact the country in this way, especially the people too? So when people look at refugee crises, they tend to look at it from a very political lens. But I think we should look at it more in a humanitarian aspect, especially now we have, um, I just heard on the news that we have some Ukrainian refugees stuck between the Mexican and United States border, and America is only taking it case by case. So it just shows that we should not be bystanders. And I think that we should be more proactive in how we intervene in this situation. 
So this is a subject, of course, you know, very close to your heart. You've lived through it. And people throughout Indian country, as they're listening, they hear about displacement, uh, whether it's forced uh, because of circumstances, well, it's actually or militarily forced. Definitely people uh, throughout Indian country are, are resonating with this and, you know, promises of the government that are not materialized. So although we try to avoid political topics on the on the show, the reality is that all of us have an individual responsibility. I really hear you making a, a plea for that and asking us to say, well, what difference can I make? What difference can organizations that I'm involved with? And I know communities, I know you might say, you know, church groups, faith communities sometimes will take an initiative. I know there are many people that are trying to make a difference in different ways, and I just appreciate you challenging us, Ella, to to make a difference in that way. There's a lot of folks that want to draw more from your story. They want to read your book. You have a website. Tell us a little bit more about how we can, well, really tap into the things that uh, that you're sharing with the world, if you will. I mean, if you're interested in reading the book, and I would appreciate it if you do, as mentioned before, you can find my book on treeswithoutroots.com. Also, if you are interested in buying the Bosnian translation, the proceeds of my book will go to help out the project that I'm involved in in Bosnia, Moja Prva Kniga, and that you can also find on the same website, treeswithoutroots.com. Additionally, if you are um, willing to submit your own story, I have a little subsection on my own website where you can talk about you submit a forum to me where you talk about discovering your own identity, and I will edit it into a short story and post it on my own website as well. Oh, really? So right now, if I jump onto Trees Without Roots, treeswithoutroots.com, I can read some short stories there from other young authors? Yes, there's only currently one, um, which I understand because it is difficult talking about you know, generational trauma or discovering your own identity. But there is a section called Your Stories and Submissions. And there you can find a forum that will have a, a series of questions that you, you can answer. It dep- it's up to you which questions you want to answer. And then from your submission, I can compile into a story and post it onto the website. So you're willing to have Native American uh, young people contribute to this? Anyone can contribute to it. So they don't have to be young even. Is that true? Or are you looking especially for people in their younger years? Um, it could be anyone. It's ultimately the goal of it is to serve as a platform for people to express themselves. They don't even have to put their name to it. It could be anonymous. So it's just a way to encourage people to start writing about their identity and to hopefully, you know, get the ball rolling with that one. <laughs> Good. I'm excited about your project, and I would love to uh, have some of our listeners uh, really dive in and, and share. So treeswithoutroots.com, that's the place to get the books. It's a place to interact with you, if there's a story that you want to share, a life story, you've never put it into writing and you want someone to kind of help you with it. I know for some of you in Indian country, oral tradition is very precious to you and, and writing something down may not uh, seem appropriate. But Ella, one of the things that I found so interesting about your story is, um, and I know some of this we talked about off air, but how we tend to categorize people and how those categorizations you know, often are incorrect. You know, we might say, oh, well, you're Native, you obviously think this way, or you're Muslim, you think that way. And uh, you had some very interesting, I think, insights, especially from the standpoint of the Bosnian Muslim family roots that you have. And a lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, you're Muslim, you, you don't eat pork, you don't drink alcohol. I mean, that's 
to tell us a little bit about that dynamic because I think it's interesting when when people want to you know draw these stereotypes. Yeah, it's a bit interesting, especially in former Yugoslavia, because um, there is a lot of well in our culture there's a lot of focus on eating pork and lamb and you know rakia is very central to the area it's very known like oh if you want rakia you will get it from, from former yugoslavia and so it's interesting to see how the dynamics of our culture play in with religion because as you know in islam you're not allowed to eat pork or drink certain things um so that's why i like to say that religion varies from person to person because even though it says like oh you shouldn't do this or you should follow it this way people like to not look at religion literally but just take the core values from it and so that I mean it's up to the person they can do as they will with it and live their life as they will because there are some people in former Yugoslavia who do follow they do follow every (laughs) practice by the letter or something yeah (laughs) so I don't know that's why for me I'm pretty I would like to think that I am open-minded when it comes to different religions just because I have witnessed firsthand how there are various degrees of religion as I like to call because practicing it is up to the person it's very subjective there is no definitive way of practicing and even though the text may say that this is how you should do it there are different ways of exhibiting that same message that the texts want to preach. Yeah and what I appreciate about your comments Ella is, uh, again, we're not trying to undermine someone who's very devout in their Christianity or Islam or, uh, you know, Buddhism or whatever religious tradition they come from. But I, I think your point is so important that people often, especially if they're not really familiar with a religion, they have these stereotypes. They say, oh, well, you're this, then you must think that. And what I just hear you saying is making a plea to get to know people, to engage with people to look for common values, at least as far as society. And again, it's not to depreciate anyone's spiritual experience. Ella, you've, um, I think, added a richness to our broadcast. And uh, as we're winding things up, if you want to leave folks with kind of a parting message, uh, what would that be? Being more informed of your own identity and culture can open up connections and open up the world more to you. So my big message is definitely, even though publishing may be daunting, You don't even have to write to be published. You can just write your own stories, but it is important to figure out your identity and just overall learn more about yourself because the more you learn about yourself, the more open-minded you will become. And that is what I hope the world will one day be, very open-minded. Wow. Very good. Ella, one more time, how does someone uh, tap into your resources? How do they pick up your book? Treeswithoutroots.com. All of the information will be there from buying a copy of the book to even submitting your own short story if you please. <laughs> Ella, thank you so much for sharing your time, your busy time as a pre-medical student and uh, sharing your passion with us. Thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity once again. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you for each one who's joined us today on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. For all of us, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.